What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into an awesome episode with Bree uh, from Epsilon Outreach, a quick shout out to a show sponsor for sport. Wow, sponsor for making this show possible. Mountain Primal Meat Company is an all-around, all-American company uh, out of Colorado. They produce 100% organic Highland beef. Uh, hunting season is indeed here for a lot of us, and uh, I would encourage you to take a second and look for some uh, good meat for base camp. Whether that's picking up a few steaks, maybe some chorizo to get. Uh, get you all excited to get up in the morning or maybe a few fuel sticks uh, to get your ass up and down the mountain be sure to check them out and use code vanguard for 15 percent off your first order today is also uh the cutoff for the fundraiser for arc sealus i appreciate all of you who have ordered some swag uh with that one design uh to raise some money uh for arc sealus so uh, i'm hoping that by the end of the week we will be able to announce the grant total um that is going to be donated so once again i appreciate all of you for picking up some swag and look forward to maybe doing some fundraisers uh similar to this in the future uh finally if you don't mind please take a second uh to like subscribe and review the show it means the world to me takes just a half a second to get it done uh, but if you wouldn't mind just taking a sec to uh to do those few simple things and maybe share it with your friends i'd appreciate it but beyond that uh let's roll it What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you tuning in for the first time, uh, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just a dude. I think I've been called a jackass out in uh, Boise, Idaho, or just outside of Boise, Idaho, that likes to sit and talk to people. I love getting their stories, understanding uh, who they are, what it's taking to get to where they're at, what they're up to, and hopefully getting you guys excited about either something new, trying something new, maybe figuring out a new passion, or maybe giving you a, a couple new tools to take the next step in life. And I think uh, Bree, who's with me uh, this evening, we're recording later in the evening on Tuesday. I think we both just barely made it through the day, but we're going to be talking about like how she got into the gun industry, some of the therapy stuff that she's been working on as far as some off-road nonprofits. I mean, we've had, we had a good conversation, I feel like leading up into this. So Bree, how, how are you doing? I'm great. You excited? I'm excited. Yeah. Uh, just excited to kind of accumulate all of the random stuff that I've been doing over the last few years and put it all together and sort of make it into I don't know. I think it makes you feel a little bit good about talking about those things <laughs> to put it together to kind of understand yeah. what you've actually been doing. Like it feels like a whirlwind of instances and travel and meeting people and, you know, whatever and photography and all the things that compile into it. And so putting them all together, I think is going to make all of us feel better. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Okay. So who, so I'll, I'll ask a super broad question because this is totally, this is usually how I start the conversation and it, and it really snowballs. If you were to start or introduce yourself, right? How would you introduce yourself and, and who are you? And I'll, and I'll ask you a couple questions to, to get her going. Okay. I'm Bri my, my real name's Brienne. I go by Bree. Um, I would say I'm an outdoor enthusiast, um, uh, you know, kind of a master of lots of things. A master regard, of lots of things. In regard to, master is the wrong word. That's, <laughs> that's the wrong word. Ma master is not the right word, but in, I am an enjoyer of a lot of things and most of them happen outside. Fair enough. <laughs> if I was gonna, like, <laughs> narrow that down, like it's way too broad, but if I was going to narrow it down, that would be it. Yeah. Okay. So one of those things I know we talked a little bit beforehand is, is shooting and being an instructor. So how, how did that come about for you? So, um, and I would use instructor in like a loose way because I am involved in Epsilon in a big capacity. Um, instructor is one of those things I'm sort of like still walking into Okay. Um, because we do have a lot of instructors and a majority of what I've done is admin media, um, just being, being a part, uh, kind of being the uh, part of the cadre, part of the the influence and the atmosphere that people feel when they come to an event. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's it's been a long road of, I worked at a gun club kind of to start this whole process of even having an Instagram, like getting into the world where you start going to classes and realizing who's very serious about training. You know, you've got like Haley Strategic and you've got all these other you know, all these other companies that are always hosting Fieldcraft Survival, et cetera. Um, you know, they, they host these classes and 
you don't really know how to look at them until you're more involved in the gun industry and you can look at them and differentiate who's serious and who's not sure and who's going to teach you you know because anyone can go oh i'm not i'm a firearms instructor but at the same time if you don't know and you're not involved in that world you don't know how to kind of have that filter on it so that was kind of my start into things um it led up to me going to some free classes and and then shortly you know meeting all the people that are currently involved in Epsilon and some that are not. Um, and then I just sort of like, we all became friends and then I was asked to be a part. Nice. That's awesome. So did you grow up shooting or, or was it something you found later on? Um, so I started shooting like my dad, my dad is, uh, he, he's got my sister and I, and I have two older half brothers that are my moms. Um, I was always kind of the daddy's girl, like did house projects with my dad wanted to run a table saw, wanted to like learn, you know what I mean? Like all the, my dad had a, had a son without knowing he had a son. Yep, That's how, kind of how that went. Um, my dad is not a hunter and he's not like a major, like firearms enthusiast, but he did spend 20 years um, in the military, which part of that was uh, at the age of 17, had his dad sign off and he went to Vietnam. Wow. So uh, my parents are in their mid sixties. And, um, mid to late sixties, I guess is how you could, how you could say that. But, um, yeah, he, I mean, he taught us to shoot guns and I always really loved it and wanted to know more. And we would like daddy daughter dates, we would go to the range and we would break out all the guns. We would clean them up. We would take them to the range and we would just shoot. Like, I would say now knowing what I know, I probably didn't know what the hell I was doing, (laughs) but you know, it was safe, but I didn't really know what I was doing in the grand scheme. Um, but mom's side of the family, big hunters, um, and both sides of the family, lots of military background. Um, so I had influence, maybe not necessarily like directly from my dad in that, in that sense of the word. Um, but yeah, a lot of, a lot of experience just sort of being involved in guns, but definitely not the way that I am now. And then started hunting, uh, like late teens. Yeah. So what was it then that led you down the path of, you know, wanting to be more and more involved in, in shooting and kind of the firearms industry? So, um, we're going to get real serious real quick. Um, I was engaged, uh, in my early twenties and that relationship turned into the guy that I was engaged to got into drugs and, uh, long story short, ended up turning into a violent situation And I was working downtown Seattle at the time, actually, and it was starting to get pretty bad. Um, So it was a mix of two things. That was uh, when he showed up in my work parking lot with a K-bar threatening to kill me. There was that. And then there was, um, you know, sort of the the sidestep to that was just there was always like weird stuff happening in our parking lot. You know, sometimes I would work late and come out and there would be people following me in the parking lot. So it it was a mix of things where. I always knew I wanted to carry and I knew that I wanted to be able to protect myself. I'm five foot two. I'm a short, small girl, um, which always makes you more of a target in my opinion. Um, but with that being said, I started to have the want and need and drive to like protect myself and then teach others to also protect themselves. So that's sort of what led me into that role as, um, you know, learning guns, talking to my friends, you know, learning as much as I could basically from the people around me who I knew, knew a lot more than I did. Okay. So I have a, I have a question in that, in that vein. And again, right. We can only get as personal as you want when it comes to, you know, maybe other females that might be in a situation that you were in, right. What advice would you have for them in terms of either a, maybe navigating a situation like that, finding help or, or maybe getting the gumption to find a way to protect themselves. I mean, what have you learned from that? And maybe through your experiences working with others. Yeah. I mean, so I had a restraining order. Um, you know, I went the legal route to be honest with you. It really doesn't do anything. Um, it doesn't really keep people, especially who are not in their right minds away from you or, and it doesn't really necessarily give, especially people who are susceptible to like domestic violence in my experience with those kind of people, a piece of paper doesn't scare them. Sure. So having people around you that you can call for help, um, that are supportive, that listen, um, you know, I, I think it's, it's really important to have like a tribe of people. It's important to have people around you who, 
um, understand your situation, maybe in, in the sense of, um, you know, maybe somebody that has experienced that before so that they know what you're feeling and they know kind of how to help you navigate that. Um, I've helped other friends navigate, uh, domestic violence before as well. And I find that a lot of them get the Stockholm syndrome. They don't want to get help or they, they end up, um, you know, trying to give an excuse for that person as to why they are the way they are, or, you know, maybe I can change them. And I think I see that more, um, in women like now because the insecurity factor, um, which runs prevalent because of media and Hollywood and all these pressures, et cetera. Um, you know, and it just becomes a weakness and that was a weakness that I wanted to weed out of myself and a weakness that is not for everybody. Um, to weed out in that, in the way that I have specifically. Um, And again, I think that it's just important to have people around you who, who truly support you, who are there to talk to you, who will answer the phone no matter what. Um, And then also figure out how to protect yourself. Cause I mean, we see the way the world's been going, especially in the last week, week and a half, you are your own first responder. So if you don't have those, um, you know, those means to protect yourselves or skills is the wrong word, but a skill set of practice and um, perseverance that, you know, through learning something uh, to protect yourself, there might not be somebody there to do that for you. And so you have to, you have to choose that for yourself um, first and foremost. Okay. Okay. And you chose in this instance, right? Firearms, I'm assuming, or were there other things that you decided or, or pursued? Yeah, I always carry some sort of stabby stab, whether that's a knife. <laughs> Um, I have a, a tour knives Marlin spike that, uh, that Devin bought me for, for, nice. uh, Valentine's day this year. <laughs> love, man. Sweet love. Um, but something, something of the nature, like, you know, let's say I can't pull my gun. Uh, what do I have that I can easily access or get to that's on my weak side? So I, I'm left-handed. So I, I carry left-handed, um, appendix style, uh, concealed carry. And then I always carry either a knife or some sort of, so something I can stab somebody with, something I can <laughs> with, or at least slow them down because I'm, I'm short. I have little legs. I can't run as fast as most men. So nine times out of 10, a man's going to attack you. I just want to slow him down at the very least. So with stabby stabbies, yeah, and you got stabby. a fancy tour knives to do it with. That's pretty. Yeah. Stupid. Yeah. I've been a fan of those for a while. I've never seen one in person, but they're, they're pretty cool. I believe they're like a CNC cut from like, you know, like a, I'm, I'm not a machinist. So we're going to, we're going to preface with that. Sure. Um, but you know, it's just like a, basically a big hunk of steel that they mm-hmm. like cut out. So it's like, it's, it's got some weight to it. Um, but it's not considered a, um, it's not considered a, a fixed blade. So there's all sorts of things where, yeah, like, you know, they have the, Oh yeah. The Cause it's just a spike. Thing. Yeah. It's just a spike. So, um, and it comes with its own holster that has retention, which is rad. Um, so if you hook that sucker up to a belt and yank it out, like your deployment time is very, very low. Pretty quick. Yeah. Pretty That's cool. Quick. I've, uh, I have a couple of friends that are big into the, uh, they don't like to say knife fighting, but the combatives and, uh, some of those, some of the blades and spikes and fancy hardware that they've got is, um, it's terrifying. Like how fast, <laughs> how fast they can get out. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's all muscle memory. It's the same with firearms draw and all that stuff too. And I think, uh. I think that people don't realize like being put in that situation too. Um, you know, the guys that are more serious about it, obviously like they're practicing like with somebody with face masks and, you know, with other protective gear and trainers and stuff like that. Um, like, like knife trainers. Um, and if anybody doesn't know what that is, it's basically whatever knife you carry or fixed blade or, or foldy or whatever. Uh, the trainer is like the version of it that they, that is not going to end your life, but you can practice with it. Yeah. It's just a, it's a dull, it's the same knife, but dull basically. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that all that, all that stuff, man, it's like, it's all muscle memory. So yeah. but it's impressive. Those guys are impressive. Yeah. It's nuts, but okay. So you started, you said that when you started to go down the path of firearms training, you started doing a couple uh free classes, you said. Yeah. So it was actually quite a, quite a long time after I had friends that kind of helped train me in the degree of like concealed carry, what to get, um, you know, just like the super, super basics. Um, it wasn't until, and my timeline could be a little off, but about two years later that I ended up, um, 
Uh, I actually started working at a gun club. I've always loved guns, been an enthusiast. I just finished my first AR build, which was an AR 10 um, and 308. And uh, I was like single and living not by home. So all my friends were sort of a little bit further away. And uh, my brother's ex-wife who her and I are still very good friends. Her, she got me a, a membership, a six month membership for my birthday to this brand new fancy gun club. It's called security gun club. It's in Woodenville, Washington. Um, they have like McLarens and Lamborghinis and like the showroom. Yeah. It's like, this is like, <laughs> this gun club is, is very different than most gun, gun clubs. Okay. All right. That is um, not what I was thinking, but all right. I know. Surprise. I told you my life has been random. So <laughs> no surprises. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's very like high end. Um, and they had like state-of-the-art system, action target system, the filtration system there. They spent like, I want to say it was like 1.5 million on. Um, so like you're in there and you're not even breathing. Like you, it doesn't feel like you're in a gun range. Yeah. It's like super, super clean, HEPA filter, air, et cetera. It's like a golf course. It's, it's like a golf course. Exactly. <laughs> a, a concrete golf course. Um, but yeah, they, they opened, we went like did our registration and I'm like looking around and like most of the people there, like, you know, kind of my age. And I'm like, I looked at her and I was like, what if I just like worked here on the weekends? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, do it. Like if, if that's what, if, if that's what you want to do, like I support you. Yeah. And um, so I ended up like chatting with the head of retail, got on their retail team and uh, like my, basically my only role there for the, for the time that I was there was, um, was selling guns. Um, I met one of my best friends while doing that. Her and I are still very close. Uh, and, um, she and I were the only two girls in the beginning. So that was a lot. Of fun. <laughs> um, and we were both on retail together. So it was always fun. You know, people walk in and they're like, damn, like two girls at the, at the counter selling guns. All right. And then they would come up and chat with us about guns. And I think there was a little bit of shock when like, it was a, it was a solid conversation. Right. You knew what was going on. Yeah. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be like, oh yeah, man. And like bullshit somebody like, we all know how that usually goes in a gun right. store. So the stigmas of the, the normal gun store were not there, which I was, I was very excited about. Um, but, but in that journey, I mean, I, I knew the basics of guns. Um, and this is only like a year and a half, two years ago. Okay. So like when it came to, um, you know, a lot of, a majority of the training that, that I have now, it's been compiled into a very short amount of time, um, which I feel zero necessity to lie about because it doesn't matter. Like your skill, your ability to teach that all speaks for itself. Right. Um, and then my background being there and literally every day, and this was through COVID too. So like I got laid off from my regular job, ended up working there, you know, during that time frame as well. Um, and that talking about guns every single day, learning as much as you can, um, understanding like weapons manipulations that you didn't necessarily know before, mm -hmm. um, you know, tips and tricks, you know, how to build an AR like better than you knew before. Like there was all these things that I ended up learning from people that knew a lot more than me. Okay. Um, and then different weapon systems, et cetera. So that, that portion of things was really cool. Like that experience was like untouched. And I'm really glad that I had that time where I was there still really great friends with the owners. Um, they have a relationship with, with, uh, the nonprofit that I'm a part of, which is Epsilon Outreach mm -hmm. Foundation, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about, but yeah, that's kind of how I got, got my start. And then from there I started, I got an Instagram, started posting, uh, helped their Instagram a little bit, um, just posts and, and, you know, gaining followers for them because they were brand new. Right. And I ran across, um, some people that were local here. And if anybody knows anything about the tactical, hate that word too, the tactical firearms industry in the Northwest, it's huge. Like 80% of the firearms industry that's like tactical or however you want to term that, um, is, is in the Pacific Northwest. We're all hiding in the woods. They're trying. <laughs> Sorry. Just um, but yeah, and I mean, that, that comes with the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, 
you get your mix of, of all the things just like you do within any, any industry. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I started actually going to classes. I was, I, I had taken a few classes at the gun club mm-hmm. which were taught by amazing guys. Um, they, they didn't have any women firearms instructors at the time. Um, I would probably teach there at this point. Um, but I haven't been there for a long time and ended up going in an opposite direction. But, uh, but yeah, I, I got on, on Instagram, found these guys, they were hosting free classes on public land. And I was like, bet I'll take a Saturday off and I'll go. (laughs) Okay. So that's kind of how that, that whole thing progressed. Got it. Okay. So while you were working in retail, is there anything that, that you were like, man, you know, if, if another lady wants to go work, you know, fire, firearms retail or start getting into it, or, or maybe wants to be excuse me, a part of the community, but maybe needs to learn how to take that step in. What advice do you have for them? Um, I would say a lot of that stuff is teachable. Um, okay. Don't talk about like, if you do get into that and you are able to find uh, either a gun club or some firearms company, you know, whatever that looks like, whether that's outside sales or it's, you know, being a rep or, you know, what, however you make your way into that, whether you start in customer service, make your way up as a rep for, you know, firearms manufacturer, or you're going to like a gun store. Don't make sure you, you, you take a very hard look at the people that are running that, you know, that, that platform or that company. Um, because again, there is a lot of toxicity in the gun industry. Uh, there's a lot of amazing, amazing people. And I would say some of the most amazing people I've ever had the privilege to call friends um, and professional acquaintances. But with that being said, you have to understand um, there is a vetting process walking into that as a girl. Okay. So I know, and I'm going to try and frame this up as best as I can, because, you know, one of the things that you you and I had talked about uh, kind of talking about a little bit more is being a female in the firearms industry, right? Um comes a lot of potential issues, right? Or, or problems or things that people need to be aware of. Females need to know how to navigate. One of them is, you know, the toxicity and, and vetting of instructors. Um, do you want to talk about how or what you've learned, some of the things that you've experienced so that, um, you know, other females can be made aware, um, I guess, to make strong decisions going forward? I don't know if I frame that up appropriately enough for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I get what you're saying. I think, Yes and no. Um, I would say it depends on how serious you are for one. Like if you really want to get training, maybe you're single, maybe you don't have somebody to go to a class with, um, et cetera. Um, I would, if you can find people that have been to a class who have been to some specific instructor that you may want to go and have instruction from and ask what their experience was. Even if you have to ask that instructor, Hey, do you have any you know, previous students who would be willing to talk to me about their experience, you know, in your classroom setting. Like, I know for me, if somebody asked me that, I'd be like, absolutely. Like, if you want to gauge another female, if you want to gauge another male's, um, you know, experience being, uh, you know, in my class or in someone else's class or in our class or whatever, um, you know, I would, I would 100% be like, absolutely. You can talk. Here's a list of people that are okay with you having a conversation. And if they're not, if they're not able to give you that, in my opinion, I would stay away from it. Um, That's, that's like point number one. Uh, Number two, um, just because somebody says they're a firearms instructor doesn't mean they are. Um, I think I've seen that more often than not. Um, And again, gun community does have toxicity. It does have a lot of good things. But again, you just have to be able to vet that. And if you need somebody's help or if you have questions, please feel free to reach out to me because I think at this point, um, you know, for the majority of, of people within the Northwest, even I have friends in the, in the East um, who could vet, vouch for someone, I would be so happy to answer that question and to keep people from having the same experiences that I and others have had okay. um, vetting people within the industry the biggest thing for me in all of this and all of the progress that I've had as an individual and as a professional within the industry, there have been a lot of people who have really impacted me. One of which, uh, who I mentioned was my, um, my ex sister-in-law. 
she was kind of, she kind of filled those spaces that I felt I didn't get in my childhood. And she really taught me how to be a strong woman, how to overcome, how to remove the insecurities in my own personal life. And she's a very strong businesswoman. I still look up to her a lot. And she is one of the biggest reasons why I am who I am today. And I would say secondly, I mean, not only my mom and dad, but my dad really instilled a love for the outdoors and my sister and I, and there was a time in our childhood where we didn't have a lot of money and he would take us and take us hiking and take us to do stuff outside and take us to the river, take us biking on the trails around uh, the, the area that I grew up in. And that for me was one of the most important times in my life where really, where I really started to feel kind of that connection with nature. And, and I think as an adult, why I love being outside and doing all of these things that I feel make me the well-rounded person that I am. And I would say the third person who's made a huge impact in my life is Devin, my boyfriend now who's deployed. He is one of the most complete men I know. And I just can't wait for more people to get to know the person that he is and to discover who he is as an individual because he's so intellectual and he's overcome so much, uh, including major racism issues um, as a young kid. And to me, that speaks volumes when people don't just complain about their past, they show all of the steps that they've taken to get to be the whole individual that they are now. And without that person in my life, to show me how to overcome even in my day-to-day who loves me no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter the mistakes I make, his love for me never diminishes. And I think that that speaks volumes, especially to the young generation of married individuals and people in relationships. Because from what I've seen in my own personal life, I've seen a lot of young people give up on marriage, give up on relationships because it got hard or because confrontation was involved. And so for me, that was not only did I think that I was this person, you know, I'm such a whole individual and blah, blah, blah. But then meeting someone like him gave me so much more confidence moving forward in life and has helped me grow so much even within the last year. So I think that those just to preface all of what I've said about overcoming, et cetera, those are the reasons why those pieces of myself have been for a second. Okay. So did you want to go down uh, the rabbit hole of what you've experienced in the industry to make people yeah, aware? Absolutely. Um, again, being asked to be like, just to preface this, being asked to like be on your, be on your platform was a huge honor. Um, Nicole and Tier are amazing people. And that's how I ended up finding your, your platform. <laughs> They're great people. They're amazing. Um, and they're just like salt of the earth people. Yeah. Like they work for black rifle coffee and like, you know, they're like always in the media and whatever, but they're just good people like off camera, fully, fully exposed. Like they're amazing people. Mm -hmm. Um, and listening to a couple people that I know that have been on your platform, I would say you guys, you're like very adamant and and in a good way talking about the hard stuff. (laughs) So we're going to preface this with some of this is hard stuff. Some of this is stuff that people don't want to talk about. And some of this is stuff that people don't even want to hear. Um, The, the firearms community, and don't get me wrong. uh, The firearms community, there's not a lot of women in it. There are a lot of women that, you know, dabble in the firearms industry, but like truly, truly involved. There are not a lot. And I think that there are reasons why Um, in my personal experience, um, I talked earlier about the the free classes that I had been to. Um, those free classes uh, were uh, performed by an instructor named Brent Brabant. He is uh, owns the company One One Bravo. Um, that is local here to the Seattle Tacoma area, um, and he was teaching on public land. A lot of the people who are involved with Epsilon Outreach Foundation, which is the nonprofit um, firearms training nonprofit that I'm a part of now. Um, were involved with Brent previous. So at the time of the Pew Luck uh, coming into the kind of the end of the summer is when at this point, all the guys from Epsilon who had previously taught with Brent uh, had now cut ties and Epsilon was completely separate from Brent. They are all men. 
except for one girl who is no longer involved. Um, and there's reasons why. Um, and for me specifically walking into that, I met some of the most incredible people, including my boyfriend currently, Devin, um, who is also part of Epsilon. Um, and over time, these things sort of crumbled um, in effect to the experiences like that I and other women have had. Um, and this guy who teaches these courses, I will say that getting great instruction um, and having uh, sexual harassment is not, there's no trade-off for that. Um, I know personally friends of mine um, who this specific person um, did basically said, hey, if you have sex with me, I'll train you. And being a girl in the firearms industry and being somebody who like in my early teens as well has have I've been sexually abused, um, you know, as as a as an early teen. Um, I don't think that that like that's the shit that like gets me fired the fuck up because I start to get immediately defensive of women who have gone through that. Because especially for me, being a girl in the firearms industry, it, had, it hasn't always been, oh, you're such a badass, you know, whatever, like all the compliments, which are great, but people don't understand the things that you've had to do to get to where you are in the degree of respect. Right. And like, I'm a nobody, which is fine. I don't care. Like if my Instagram deleted itself tomorrow, who, who gives a shit? Like, I, I would be sad for the people like you who I, who I came in contact with through Instagram and who I've been able to build like incredible uh, friendships with that I've met on Instagram. But other than that, like who gives a shit? So whatever, you know, right, right. but being again, being a girl in this industry has been less than preferable and being having experienced the sexual abuse that I have in the past um, in my life, which has been more than three times. By different people. Um, it has shaped me in a way that, and, and I look at it like this, it either makes you a better, stronger individual, or it makes you a victim. Okay. And I choose not to be a victim. Um, but again, there's a fine line between playing the victim and letting other people know that these things exist and that they are prevalent. Um, and that they are okay to be talked about. Um, I am in no way, shape or form a feminist, um, but I do believe that women don't have the respect that they deserve being within the industry who are serious about it. And I wanna see that change and I wanna help that to change. Um, so again, my experience, I, I went to one of Brent's classes. I was in a relationship at the time. That relationship ended before I ended up going to the next class. And it start. that's where like the progress started, um, of like things that were not okay. Okay. Um, there was like during classes, he would like inappropriately touch girls, you know, like touch their shoulders or like whisper in their ear or like, just say like sexual comments to people he didn't know. Um, like I'm fine. Like joke around, like, let's be friends. I have a lot of guy friends. Again, I'm the only girl in Epsilon outreach. We do, you know, we have our jokes between each other but it's not inappropriate and it's not pushing, the, it doesn't push the subject. It doesn't push right. the envelope um, and it is not disrespectful. And if it is in any way, shape or form, we are all good friends enough to be like, Hey man, like I was offended by that. Yeah. Whatever. A little that over the line. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that was a little over the line, whatever, but we love each other and we, and we talk to each other about those things and we're open about it. And I, n nobody is a, like a sexual predator. Having had the experiences that I have had in my past, I can pick those people out very fucking quick. Right. And after the second class, I was like, "Duh, this is like a little bit weird. Um, and this, this second class, I was just sort of like, okay, whatever. Like, I really like these other people, you know, they're the ones doing a, a you know, majority of the instruction. It's not that big a deal. I just kept telling myself, like, it's not that big a deal. And that is a lie that I think a lot of people, especially women in the industry will tell each other, like, this is just what you have to do to get things done. This is just what you have to experience. It's like, this is just part of the industry. Like, no, that's a huge fucking lie and you shouldn't put up with it. Period. I don't care who you are or where you are, or if you're Instagram famous or not, it does not matter as whether you're a man or a woman, like those are things that you do like hard lines for me now. Right. Um, 
tiptoeing in, into the industry, I will say that those were not hard lines for me because I thought that that's how it was. That's how it had to be. And it's not how it has to be. So again, sorry, back to my, let me, let me circle back. No, you're fine. Um, but that after that class, I was like, I, I said something to a friend of mine and they were like, oh yeah, he's just like, he's super nice. And you know, he's just like really extra friendly. And I was like, okay, you know, whatever, like no big deal. So the next event that we had, it actually was our very first Epsilon. We used to be called Epsilon Northwest. Um, our name is now Epsilon Outreach Foundation. We had a, our first annual Pew Luck, which was like, <laughs> I know, isn't that great? Potluck. Yeah, potluck, but there's a competition that goes on. And then we had um, amazing companies like Killer Innovations, Rainier Arms, um, and, and a, a few others. I can't, honestly, I'm not going to, I don't want to botch it. So I can't remember who exactly <laughs> was. All of, the, all of the people that gave last year, um, but amazing companies that gave a lot. Uh, we ended up like raffling off a 6.5 Creedmoor AR, a um, bunch of other things. So that was for, we had a, we had a competition that we, that we, put up. So we, you know, wrote out the drills, had each bay and instructors and RSOs doing that portion of things. And then it was all time-based. So that was like an all day event. Um, we had that in Capitol Forest, which is down near Olympia, Washington. Um, and so the Pew Luck being independent of Brent, which I had stated earlier, he wasn't even at this event, nor has been at any Epsilon events since we started. After that, that next day, we were supposed to have a we were asked to be a part of uh, the Loophold Optics 2021 um, uh, photo shoot slash video. So at the time, Brent was very involved with uh, Loophold and um, he had invited all of us, which was actually really close to where we were having this event um, to stay at his house. So it was like, you know, 10 of us or something. And he said, hey, like, no problem. Like, I'll have dinner ready for you guys. Come on over. Um, and at the time it was, and so we went over and, um, you know, had dinner, hung out, you know, just sort of like, you know, we called it at the time, like family dinner, you know, right, right. hung out with everybody. Um, and, uh, they had, I was, you know, one of the only girls staying. So they were like, Hey, like you can have the spare bedroom. So they like set up the spare bedroom for me. No big deal. Um, I went upstairs like later in the night and, um, and again, this is like, everybody knows where everyone stands. Like the dude is married, et cetera. Um, and I'm upstairs and I'm changing. I was like, Hey guys, I'm gonna go change really quick. I'll be right back. I go upstairs. He sneaks upstairs and tries to barge his way into the room. What? Yeah. And I was like, you need to get out. You need to get out of this room. I'm in here changing. Not okay. And I ended up like putting something under the door so he couldn't get in. Okay. Um, yeah. So little did I know this had been happening with other people. Okay. Uh, I stayed a second night cause we had a second day that we were shooting, um, at core vision in Bremerton. And, um, I ended up sleeping in my tent outside. I have a rooftop tent on my truck mm -hmm. and I stayed outside and that whole night he was like, why are you staying outside? Why are you not staying in the bedroom? Blah, blah, blah. And I looked at him. I was like, can you just let me stay? Like, I just want to sleep in my tent. I didn't want to get into it. I don't, I didn't even like really know him well enough to like, I knew the people that were staying there. So that's why I felt comfortable to stay. Um, his wife at the time, she's, they're no longer married. She's a gem. She's an amazing human being. Okay. Um, and like, I trusted the group enough to be fine, like sleeping there after that night, I was so uncomfortable that I ended up deciding to sleep in my tent the next night. Well, the first day that we got back from the shoot, um, I, we, he had a pool in the backyard. It was like the middle of summer. We all were, you know, hanging out in, in the pool. And like, I can't tell you at this point, like, I don't know if any of them saw it. I have no idea. Um, but I know a lot of people did. Um, and I like got out of the pool to like go grab something. And he just like smacks my ass in front of all these people. Like, not only did it make me feel like disgusting right. that it happened in front of his wife and she, couldn't say anything because of the person that he is. Um, but it, it was a feeling that made me feel like I didn't belong. Okay. Um, and I think that's why like these details for me are very important. Um, 
because it was a slow manipulation of the situation that ended up becoming very inappropriate very quickly. Um, and for me, that was the kind of the extent of like, besides like the, the weird little touches and like trying to like hug me from behind and like weird, just stuff that was like, not okay. Right. You know, um, not like none of the other guys did any of that. Like we would hang out, you know, we would give hugs like, Hey, what's up, man. You know, but it, it never got to that point. Yeah. And there was nothing flirty about it. Correct. Exactly. Um, and for somebody who was supposed to be like the leader of the group that we were in at the time, um, which he's zero, like no longer affiliated with any of us, um, because of these actions be, and because of, um, I could speak to, to other people who I know specifically who have, who you would know, who a lot of people would know, um, that are, you know, famous Instagram influencers, like their wives have been affected by him. In, in a very inappropriate way to the point where they were like, you are no longer welcome at my house. Yeah. Like you cannot invite this person over. They are no longer welcome, welcome in our home. Um, they don't know how to have personal space. Okay. Um, to the majority of, I would say guys, honestly, to the majority of guys, it might not seem like much. Um, but like, that's a big deal. It might seem like very subtle. It might seem some, like something you could just like, oh, you know, he, he didn't mean it or he's just extra nice or whatever. Having that be the first few, I would say first few like real serious months in the gun industry, I felt like shit. Yeah. I it made me feel imagine. like, say that again. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And I think that it honestly, like as subtle and small as that seems to the majority of people, it affected me for a really long time. Okay. It affected um, my confidence. It affected the way that I spoke to other people, the way that I carried myself um, and, you know, among others. And it, and it doesn't even necessarily point to that specifically, but like for someone who has experienced sexual assault in my past, those things start to trigger those emotions. Right. And um, that probably just sent you right over the edge. Yeah. I would say in a big way. Um, and since then there have been, other women who have come, uh, come out to friends of mine and to myself who have said, Hey, like, I don't know if you know this, or like, I don't know if this happened to you, but like this guy told me that if I wasn't going to fuck him, then I wasn't going to be able to get any sort of firearms training. Is this normal? And I was like, to myself, I was like, wow. Like, is that, is that where we are? Like it's 2021. Things should not be this way, but they still are. And it's the stuff that people don't want to talk about. Right. Um, but again, long story, long story long. Um, it just, that was, that was my intro to the gun industry. And not only that, but like, it, it makes me sick. It, it honestly makes me sick that, that women are still experiencing this to this day from this person. Right. Um, so that, that's, that was kind of what led up to me breaking off from that and like all of us breaking off from that toxicity and you know unacceptable behavior so to okay. speak so i was taking notes because I, I had a lot of questions that came up that i'd like to to get your input on if that's okay yeah absolutely so um breaking away from that right I, i'm getting the vibe that, that that style of that style's not the right word but that that toxicity is not something you experience anymore right so one question I have that I'd really like to get your input on so that both males and females know um, how to either see this or set them. So how did you go about and set your boundaries? Well, I want to ask this in maybe two different ways. So one, how did you learn to set your boundaries? And then how did you learn to define and stick to them? Um, so I think I'll answer the second one first, because I think it will preface the first. Okay. Um. I would say setting a boundary for that and knowing what the boundaries are. I don't, I mean, I think you just have to be really blunt and that's something that is hard for a lot of people because our culture is passive aggressive. And for me, it's pretty black and white when it comes to those things. Like those are moral issues, Yeah. you know? 
Um, and I would say the average normal guy knows when it's okay and not okay to like touch you. You know what I mean? Like we have have societal norms. Like it's, it's pretty fucking common knowledge. Like if, if somebody tells you it's okay to like hug them, then go ahead and hug them. But I'm pretty sure that people don't like sneak up behind other people, especially people of the opposite sex and just like inappropriately touch them. (laughs) No, you know, and there was times where like, like he touched my boobs. Like there was like, and it was like, he would try to like play it off. Like it was subtle or it wasn't, you know what I mean? And it right. like, even if it's subtle, be like, yo, you have personal space. And so do I don't come in my bubble. Yeah. You have to be really blunt with people. And I think especially guys, because sometimes in, and in my personal experience, if you don't slightly embarrass them, you're not going to get your point across. It's very fair. So that's how I set my boundaries was I had to build my confidence level enough to realize like, I'm not causing drama by being like, don't touch me. Like it's more drama for that to happen and keep going on and on and on than for me to be like, yo, don't touch me. So did you I ever, think that, I think that when, sorry, go ahead. No, please finish. Go for it. I was going to say, and I think that women need to understand that is okay. Don't be afraid to tell somebody that it is inappropriate that you feel violated because that's different for everyone. Yeah. So, that's, so when you started to, I guess, did you ever start calling folks out on that and like, Hey, I feel violated. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't really word it like that. I would just be like, yo, don't touch me. Okay. And he never, there was never a time where he understood that. Okay. So was that difficult for you to start calling out? Yes. Okay. How did you, how did you get over that, that initial hurdle? Cause I feel like once you do it the first time, it gets easier for you to be, you're building your own confidence in that, in that sure. sense. Sure. Absolutely. Um, it's really hard to start doing it. Um, and because, you know, women are like, it's not now like women are to be seen and not heard, but in certain instances, it really is still that way. Um, and I think in that degree of things, guys have gotten away like, and it's, and I know it's such, it's a huge combination of things like the sexualization of women in the industry, in the culture, in society, however you want to word that. Um, those things play a part. And just as much as dudes don't want to be decked at the bar, chicks don't want to be touched without you asking them, you know? So I think for me to be able to justify it in my head that it was okay to, to say what I was going to say and to just nip it in the bud right away. Um, I had to justify that to myself because again, I went back and forth in my head of, and I think a lot of women probably do. I went back and forth in my head a lot of like, Oh, am I just like causing drama by saying that? Should I just like, let it go? Like, it's not really that big of a deal. You would always try to justify it. Like, or I would always try to justify it to myself. And I think other women do don't just justify it. It's black and white. You either are okay with it or you're not. And you have to like draw those firm lines and be okay with just saying it out loud. Because if they don't know and you didn't say, then they're going to be like, well, you didn't tell me. Or there's always going to be an excuse as to why they acted the way that they did. So if you are firm on your boundaries, it actually makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to echo the one thing that you mentioned about being blunt, right? So my wife and I, you know, we have, we are two entirely different people, right? So when it came to us, not obviously not in this context, right. Or this conversation, but in terms of us being able to understand our language differences, yeah, we had to learn to kind of dumb it down into a way where it was like, that's fucking dumb. I disagree with you. Right. You know, and, and I think to your point of being blunt, right. Take the emotion out of what you're trying to say to communicate it in a way that dudes understand because, you know, we're not all that intelligent. <laughs> so, so honestly, I, I think to your point, right. I mean, draw your boundary and I mean, put on your bitch face because I I think that that's what a lot of us are receptive to. Yeah. And it's okay to do that. Like if you need to, like you said, if you need to put on your bitch face, just fucking do it. We had to practice that with Erica. Yeah. We we seriously, when she started in law enforcement, you know, she used to be a server. So she was super nice. Right. (laughs) And then we had to work on her bitch face and now I'm scared of her. So 
you're like, and now I created this devil. Yeah. And I'm okay with it. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think again, the, those things are, are, are they're, they're just necessary. Like as much as certain people are passive aggressive or quiet or whatever, it doesn't matter what your personality is. Don't settle for bad behavior because you're afraid to say something. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's really what it boils down to is it's hard to be the one to be, be like, Hey, don't touch me. I didn't tell you it was okay. And I think if you say it in a way that has confidence, you know, obviously, you know, I don't know. It's a weird subject for me because I am always like kind of the, you know, the, the token chick in the group. And like, we are, I'm always around like, you know, either former military guys or like active duty military guys. And there's a lot of jokes that, you know, get insinuated in groups, but they're never directed at me. You know what I mean? Like they can joke with each other or joke about something or whatever, but there's never a time where any of my close friends or colleagues have made a joke at me that ends up being so uncomfortable that I feel the need to say something. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's, I feel like you're making a good point because there's definitely a difference between being a part of the group and being able to make jokes among friends. And there's a, there is a, a, there's a line, albeit a fine line between what is then derogatory. Correct. Correct. And it's, it's the way that you, and it's all psychological, right? If you look at like the actual cycle, psycho, psycho Wow. I can't talk. Psychological. If you look at the psychology behind, <laughs> that's what I was trying to say. Words are hard. Um, when you look at the psychology behind the way people speak to each other and the way that people interact, um, when things start to get directed at somebody and like body language changes, you know, what's what in that situation and what people are trying to insinuate. Yeah. So I would just say, if those things make you uncomfortable, don't, don't feel like you have to put up with it because the one thing, like I I had a pretty hard week this last week and I had a conversation with Devin about, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm not always respected and, um, you know, appreciated in certain ways and in certain groups and in certain settings. Um, and I feel like it's because I'm a woman and because I, I am involved in these things and, um, you know, and it's not all the time and it's not like, you know, within our small group, but it is something that I feel is an issue. Sure. And it's something that is hard for me to talk about because I don't want to sit around and be like, Oh, life's so hard in my middle-class job. And, you know, I don't feel like people respect me because I'm a woman. Like I am not going to complain about those things, but they do take, like they do take a toll on you over time. Sure. And those are the things. And, and he's super encouraging. And he was like, Hey babe, I feel like you are the person, you know, whether there's others or not, like you're the person who can stand up for that. Like once you get to that point where that you are on that respect factor and that all that stuff fades away, you can be the advocate for all the other ones that are down there. Right. And for me, that really, it was hard to hear because it <laughs> struck a chord. And, yeah. Yeah. It struck a chord and it's, it's hard to be like the, the pioneer to that, so to speak. Um, but it's something that I think more women should be less afraid of doing and be less afraid of talking about because it's not that we want to be like, oh, watch everything you say and walk on eggshells, guys. It's not that. It's we want to be respected. We want to have an opinion, but we don't want to be demeaned and sexualized. And I don't think that that's too much to ask. No, no. So you you made a good point. So advocating for others by through pioneering. So being a lady that is working through all of these things, what have you learned that you feel other other women should be aware of to, I guess, further their own pioneering and their own path? I would say number one when it's the hardest is when you got to be strongest. And I know that sounds really cliche and really stupid, but those are the instances where when you feel that everything's against you, you're doing something. It's like the saying, you know, if you don't have haters, you're not doing something right. It's the same idea. When you start to feel the fog roll in of doubt that you're doing the right thing or that, 
you know, maybe it's, maybe I should just give up or, you know, maybe this isn't for me because it's hard, which again, that's a human that, that happens to all of us, right? Like when things are hard is when that's when it counts. So don't give up, keep pushing forward and just continue to do it in a way that is like respectful to both men and women, because that's where the key is. It's not like men are the problem. It's like, no, we're both the problem because women don't speak up. Um, there's a huge lack of like very good women left because I hear it from a lot of my guy friends, you know, because it's so easy in our culture to just be boring, but pretty or to be boring, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just yeah. be like, Oh, look at me on TikTok. Look at all my followers. Like that's fucking cool. But like what happens when you're down to the wire and like, you know what I mean? Like you need to change your tire or you yeah. need to have like actually fucking do something. <laughs> yeah. Or like, or, or want to move up in your job because women, I think it, it's, there's a two part to it. Like women have felt so sexualized for so long that they feel the need that that's the only thing, only way to get what they want. But then the caveat to that is women also don't step up to be, to pioneer those things so that it's like, Hey, there's those of us out here who don't want to just be treated like shit. Right. Like we want the respect, like, and, and again, if you're a, a, you know, a good looking girl in an industry that's male predominated, like, or dominated by men, predominantly men, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, then it does, it can be hard because people will see, and especially on social media, they'll see your face and they'll be like, damn, this chick probably doesn't have any idea what she's doing. (laughs) Right. But, but in order to have like, the intellectual ability, um, to, to talk about the things that are hard, the fortitude, both mental and physical fortitude to get where you want to get to pioneer those things, especially for other women. Um, and then, you know, on top of it, just like, just don't give up. Like, I mean, I find myself, I'm not saying I haven't been there. I'm, I'm being my own, you know, Preaching I'm the being choir. my own bad guy right now. Like, yeah. don't give up, I guess, bottom line. Okay. Okay. Before we move on to uh, what you're doing now, is there anything else that you want to get out there, communicate, educate people on? Ladies, get them excited to go shoot, be badasses. Yeah. I mean, I would say, A, find a great instructor. Um, So Epsilon Outreach Foundation, we're local in the Pacific Northwest. We usually run um, an event once a quarter. We're going to try to do more. Um, but classes are expensive. And if you don't know your, your instructors, then that's also hard. So for us, we wanted to create a platform where we were able to teach people for free. And it just sort of started like all of us just like loving people and wanting people to learn. Um, but like we ended up creating a nonprofit out of it and we've gone a lot further than we even thought. And it creates not only a sense of community community for everybody in our area, um, you know, to either meet others, to, to train with, um, who know what they're doing, um, but to also build the community of just like, Hey, look at all these like-minded people coming together who, and for us, like we have had like gay guys at our classes. We've had, you know, people that are, you know, are very much to the left come to our classes. And, and that's cool. Like to me, that is amazing because those are the stigmas that we want to break in the industry And we want people to feel, especially women, we want women to feel comfortable coming to our courses, that they're not being hit on, that they're not being mistreated, that they are being taken seriously. And I mean, there's others out there that way, um, you know, other companies that are doing that. And again, if anybody wants to know more, you know, wants other, other modes of, of training and people that can train them, um, you know, they're out there. If you want to know more and you have questions about it, you can always hit me up on Instagram. Awesome. Awesome. And last you have got your trail therapy, which is your off-road nonprofit that you were, uh, you were interested in sharing. Yes. Um, so one of my best friends in the entire world, Kevin Herring, he is the president of trail therapy. He is also the founder. Um, he has been in the off-road industry for a really long time. And, um, like, I would say in any sticky situation, he would be the kind of person that could get you out of it if you were out. (laughs) (laughs) Unintended. Yeah, exactly. Um, But he, uh, he started trail therapy. He was a, he was a Marine vet 
um, did a couple tours uh, overseas, um, and he was a door gunner on a helicopter. I couldn't tell you which. I know nothing about those things. I am a civilian, so we're going to preface that. But I know he's a door gunner in a helicopter overseas. Saw a lot of things, lost some friends. Um, and for him coming home, it was really hard to deal with those things without having some sort of outlet. And I would say probably 98% of veterans are like, yeah, I'm not going to go see a therapist. Like, right. I'm going to go sit in a room with some lady, talk to her, lay on the couch, you know, the, 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 the typical stigma, <laughs> yes. the psychological delve into like, oh, what's PTSD and how fucked up am I? Like people don't want to do that. This was a way trail therapy offered was a way for him to create a community for veterans, make them feel like they had a source for, um, you know, kind of those issues, those things, and then create those relationships where maybe you do meet another vet that you want to chat with about those things and share stories and have some sort of closure in that. And, um, I actually met him on Instagram um, like three years ago. And, um, we just sort of like started talking and like, I thought trail therapy was awesome. And before I was like really into the gun industry side of things, I was way more into the off-road uh, side of things. Nice. Um, I built out, I have a 2013, uh, Toyota Tacoma off-road that I built out. Um, I like my, my getaway weekend where I'm just like, yeah, I've had a hard week. I'm going to go up at 5,000 feet and pop my, 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 <laughs> Be done. And just, yeah, just like let go of everything. So that for me, that was, that felt like therapy. And I can't imagine, you know, I know nothing of the, the war on terror. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know anything about GWAT. I was not involved, et cetera, but I have a ton of friends and family members who were directly involved. And I have always felt it on my heart to be an outlet for those people. And trail therapy has been an amazing outlet for a lot of guys um, it desperately needs funding, but we are working through that, um, you know, all the time. And we're just like super passionate about people and want to give veterans like that experience. And we want to be able to raise the money to take like 10 guys, their wives and kids out to, you know, an area, teach them to recover. Uh, they did a Moab trip a couple of years ago yeah. with some vets and it was amazing. That's cool. Um, guys really felt like they learned a lot they had that reconnect with like their wife and kids. Um, and it just creates a really cool atmosphere for like other vets to also get to know each other. Yeah. Um, so also, um, my significant other Devin, who is deployed right now, he is the vice president of trail therapy as well. Um, as well as involved in Epsilon outreach. So we're both very involved with trail therapy. Um, we both love to off-road and be outdoors and it's such a combination. So we try to like you know, the lines blur between the two sometimes <laughs> like guns yeah. and off-roading and the whole nine. Tough life. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but it's a great organization, uh, with amazing people. Kevin's one of the most incredible human beings I know. And like, is always giving to other people, no matter what the situation, whether it's his own money or time, um, or through uh, trail therapy. And, um, we are hoping that 2022, King of the Hammers, which is in uh, California. Okay. Big off-road race. It's the Ultra 4 race. So there's different series. 4400 series is uh, the Ultra 4 race. So it's like these specific kind of rigs. Just I'm going to dumb it down. The specific no, yeah, kind please. of rigs <laughs> that, that, that race these. And they're all usually custom built um, that that race this, this track out in the middle of the desert, uh, kind of close by Joshua Tree. Okay. Uh, it's by 29 Palms and Joshua Tree, like that, that kind of that whole area. Um, and there's like, uh, like thousands of people that come out, they create, they call it hammer town. Like there's so many people and like tents and RVs and like off-road vehicles. It literally creates like a town in the middle of the desert. That's cool. Yeah. It's really, really rad. And like tons of companies come out for it. Like you have like Nito tires, Toyo, um, you know, Ford came out this year and you could just like romp around in like a brand new Bronco and just like (laughs) roll it basically if you want to. Um, but having the community, like not only in the off-road community, but also, uh, firearms community has been really rad. Um, and being a part of trail therapy has been a huge honor. And I've met a lot of people through it. 
Um, and that was sort of my way into where I ended up sort of getting into guns on Instagram as well. And, and then it was like, Oh, like they kind of all go together. So then we would like go out in the middle of nowhere and shoot and whatever. And being involved in trail therapy has been awesome. So we're going to have fundraisers that come up, but for King of the Hammers 2022, we are going to try to this year. And I think it's still in the works, but get funding to build an ultra four race car. That'd be cool. Um, and we want to race against the guys from off the grid surplus, which are very good friends of Kevin's. Yeah. Um, they've been really supportive of us up here to like send us off the grid uh, swag to be like, Hey man, like wear it out. You know, tell me how it was. Tell me what you think needs to be, you know, change, et cetera. So really cool fluid relationships in the industry, but yeah, trail therapy has been a huge honor and we just want to grow it and do more. So again, like I said, lots of irons in the fire, but it's been, it's been awesome. That's cool. Okay. So if people want to get involved with either Epsilon um, or trail therapy, where can I find you? So uh, epsilonoutreach.org. You can get on there, submit um, a questionnaire. You can get on there, like contact us. You can shoot us an email. Um, you can also get on Instagram, follow us. I believe it's at epsilon underscore outreach. Um, I need to confirm that, but I believe that's correct. Um, and then for trail therapy, uh, it's trail therapy offroad.org. Um, and you can hit us up on there. Um, Kevin or myself usually will check on there just to see if we have requests. Yes, it is epsilon underscore outreach. Okay. And, um, either either way it doesn't matter um get a hold of us if you want to be involved in both if you want to be involved in one or the other doesn't matter um but we're going to probably try to have a trail therapy um event up here in the pacific northwest hopefully uh early 2022 but it is based out of san diego california currently awesome well, I hope you well, I hope you all enjoyed uh, today's episode with Bree. Um, I hope that you learned something, took a few things away as far as you know navigating. Honestly, not just the firearms industry, um, but you know, being able to speak up when you're uncomfortable, when you feel like you are not being treated appropriately, but also knowing that there are people out there that are willing to to help push you forward and help you find your passion and, and find a safe way. In this case, to to pra safely practice and learn and be educated on firearms, and then if you so choose to continue down learning to uh, to educate others, maybe build firearms, get into it, the instructing aspect, um, tactics, for instance. Um, so I would highly encourage you all, um, you know, regardless of male or female, whatever the case may be, to uh, reach out to individuals that you trust other instructors and uh, and find ways to to get involved in the industry because that's how we push each other forward become a little bit more um, aware of of navigating the firearms world in a, in a safe effective and comfortable manner so again i would encourage you all to take a look at Bree's uh, instagram reach out to her, her and i will tag um, her webpage and also epsilon outreach so if you're interested in reaching out to them as well but beyond that you all have a wonderful day and we'll catch you next time